Today we assemble because there's an empty grave. Today our celebration is the fact that death has been defeated. That a man can walk and give his life and they put him in the ground and he gets up and walks out. Now I'm going to ask you a question. In reality, why would we gather? They're gathering all over the world today. Why would we gather and celebrate something that happened to a man 2,000 years ago? What's that got to do with us? Why do we sing songs and celebrate and do all of this because of a man who died 2,000 years ago and walked out of the grave? So what he walked out of the grave 2,000 years ago? What's that got to do with us? Unless, unless, unless we can do it too. And I'm going to tell you, it's a game changer. When you believe in the resurrection of the dead, it changes everything. So today I begin with this question, do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? Do you believe it's possible for a person who is dead, who physically is dead, and you put them in a box, and you put the box in the ground, and they come out? So it leads to the second question. If you believe in the resurrection of the dead, where do the dead go? They go somewhere. So do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in hell? Do you believe in the afterlife? A life after this one. We've committed seven weeks to this topic. This is session two. Seven weeks, specifically, what does this book say about the afterlife? Seven weeks. I was studying and I saw a Pew Research Center poll taking place. I covered it a little bit last week. It was published in 2015. And it surveyed all Americans, and here was the result of the survey. 72% of Americans believe in heaven. Well, that's not surprising to me. Now, the number drops when you ask the question, do you believe in hell? The number goes from 72% to 58%. That's not surprising to me. And when they polled Hindus, Buddhists, and Jews, it went to less than 50% on heaven and hell. Those statistics are still not terribly surprising to me, but I'm going to tell you the next one is. In fact, the next one was kind of a revelation moment to me. A group that includes atheists and agnostics and let's just say people who don't believe anything about God. They were polled, and guess what the poll found? 37% of these unbelievers who deny any religion at all, 37% of that group said they believed in heaven. What? Why would people who don't believe in anything believe in heaven? It gets better. 27% of the people who don't believe in anything believe that there's hell. There's a group of people who don't believe in any religious affiliation whatsoever, and yet even they, even they acknowledge a heaven and a hell. They acknowledge an afterlife. How is that possible? To have no religious beliefs and believe in heaven, 
and believe in hell. It's got a name. It's got a title. It's called universalism. A lot of people have this religion. Let's call it what it is. It's a religion that believes that everybody just goes to heaven. That there is some mysterious, unknowable God, and everybody will die, and everybody eventually ends up in heaven. I want you to think deeply about this for a moment. Why do unbelievers, some unbelievers, believe in the heaven and believe in the hell? Can I attempt to answer that deep question? Nothing makes sense without the belief in an afterlife. Nothing in your life and nothing in my life is going to ever make any sense without believing in the afterlife. I would like for us to right now, all of us together, be intellectually honest with ourselves. To be very honest. There is a societal danger. I want you to recognize a societal danger danger it is an incredible danger if you could ever get a large majority of any group of people to deny the before life and deny the afterlife and let me explain the before life part to deny the before life would be to deny genesis 1 1 that in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth what is the societal danger to that there's a danger to thinking that we came from nothing. It's hard to argue with the fact that we're here because you can look around and we're here. We're conscious people. We know conscious people. So life comes, life is here, but where does life come from? Evolutionists want us to believe that life came from nothing. That we are all the result of chance random processes. Now, there's a danger to that. And why? Because the danger goes to the second part. If you believe there is no before life, there is no creator, there is no creation, that God did not create you and I in, the light, in His own likeness, in His own image, that He breathed into us the breath of life, then how did we get here? We came from nothing. Chance, random processes. If you came from nothing, wouldn't it be logical? Wouldn't it be intellectually logical that you're going to nothing? If there is no God that gives life, then what would make you believe that there's a God that sustains life after this life? So what's the societal danger, Terry? Here it is. What would be your logical conclusion if you came from nothing and you're going to nothing? What is the present meaning of your life? Nothing. Why would you get out of bed in the morning? Why would you do anything with excellence? Or why would you work hard to do anything at all? If you come from nothing and you're heading for nothing, then life is indeed meaningless. You see, people want to deny the before life. And here's what's interesting about the poll. The same group of people, the same group of people that want to tell us that we are the result of chance random processes the same group of people that want to tell us that there is no god who breathes into us the breath of life the same group of people many of them want to believe in heaven why because if not life has no meaning life has no purpose life has no value 
In fact, it is the ultimate definition of hopelessness. You know what the ultimate definition of hopelessness is? You came from nothing, and in front of you is nothing, and between the two nothings is nothing, and you are a nothing. You have no meaning. You have no purpose. You've got nothing. You will fade to black unconsciousness, and there's nothing out there but nothing. So I ask you a question today, church. Is there any hope? In the future, is there any hope? In the present condition of our current world, is there any hope? We've all assembled on Easter. What is the question? Is there any hope for the world? I mean, let's face it. Turn on the news. and North Korea is building nuclear weapons. And Iran is building nuclear weapons. And there seems to be chaos in the world. And there's rioting in Israel. And and the political situation looks like absolute chaos in America. Is there any hope? I read a story recently about a policeman who was out on his beat and he walked by this bridge. And the bridge was over a river and it was a long fall and he saw a man standing on the edge of the bridge ready to jump and commit suicide. The policeman approached him and said, don't do it, don't do it. And the man's response to the police officer was this, you know, life is meaningless. Life is hopeless. There's no hope for me. There's no reason for me to live anymore. I'm going to end it all. And the policeman says, listen, listen, let me talk to you. I'll give you five minutes. The policeman said, I'll give you five minutes to tell me why life is not worth living. If you'll let me have five minutes to tell you why life is worth living. The man agreed and they talked for ten minutes. And they both jumped. Let's be honest. That's how some of you feel. That if you look at the current situation, it's hard to see in our present reality hope. And yet in the middle of that despair of the world, guess what? We all came together today believing that the grave is empty. What? That the grave is empty. I'm going to tell you the truth. And this number I'm about to give you is not 72%. It's not 58%. It's not 27%. It's not even 99.8%. This number I give you is 100%. And here it is. 100% of people will die before they reach the age of 120. And that means that everybody in this room, in your future, is death. It's a fact. According to the book Heaven, written in 2004, worldwide, three people die every second. There went three just then. 180 people die every minute. 11,000 people die every hour. And a quarter of a million, 250,000 people die every day a quarter of a million people either go to heaven or hell every day a quarter of a million people around the world are going somewhere i'm asking you a question where are they going is there an afterlife where are all these people going where are you going i find that even people who go to church they don't think about things like this where are you going? 
It's not just, where are they going? Where are you going? Do you think you're going to live forever? Some of you might think this is a strange topic for Easter. But i got to tell you, I believe it is the perfect topic for Easter. Why? Because Easter is the greatest display of the afterlife in the entire world. Easter is the display of an event that declares there is something after the grave. If Jesus' resurrection is proof of the afterlife, if Jesus' resurrection is proof that there is life after the grave, and I believe it is, Jesus' resurrection is proof that there is life after the grave. There's witnesses. Ladies and gentlemen, you would not die for a lie. His apostles gave their life to testify of the resurrection. Nobody's going to die. No one's going to let you hang them upside down on a cross or cut their head off or or crucify them. No one's going to let you do that to them because they won't renounce Christ for a lie. It's the truth. And if Jesus' resurrection is true, I want to know what He has to say about the afterlife. And what if I told you on this Easter Sunday that Jesus reveals a great detail of the afterlife. I told you last Sunday that today we would talk about what happens to the human soul after the physical body dies. Today I'm going to reveal through the Scriptures, not a parable, but plain talk from Jesus about the afterlife. Plain talk from Jesus about the afterlife. Now you can ignore me, or you can listen to me. You can listen to what the world says about the afterlife, or you can listen to what the one who rose from the dead says about the afterlife. I believe that what I'm about to read to you is the most important passage in the Bible and in the world about the afterlife. This story is found in the Gospel of Luke, and it happens in the final months of Jesus' life before He goes to the cross. I said earlier it's not a parable, and the reason that I say it's not a parable is this. Jesus uses real names in this story. If you want to study the parables of Jesus, in His parables, He does not use real names. But the story I'm about to read to you, He uses real names, which means I believe it's a real story about the afterlife. The story is the rich man and Lazarus. This is not the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead in Bethany. This is a different Lazarus. It's a story about two men and two choices and two outcomes and two roads that happen to lead in opposite directions. Two men in the afterlife. Jesus is going to tell us about two men in the afterlife And the one telling the story is the one who comes back to life in the afterlife. Jesus. A story of the afterlife from the one who has risen from the grave. It is empty. A story from the one who knows the truth. Here's why I make such a point of that. All of us have had our minds formed by the world's view. I'm going to tell you, Jesus' view is different than the world's view. 
Here's what he says about the afterlife. Luke 16, verse 19. Jesus says, there was a certain rich man. Now I want to pause. If you're a visitor today, if you turn the bulletin over on the back side, every scripture that I will use today is recorded on that page. Every scripture. Of every time I speak, I put all of my scriptures there. I also put some blanks there. And if you want to try to stay up with me, these yellow letters on the TV behind me will be the fill in the blanks. Go ahead and see if you can keep up. Jesus says there was a rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named, named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's tables, the, dog, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. I want you to notice the contrast between these two men. One is in luxury and the other is in poverty. These two men couldn't be any more different from each other. They are both traveling through life together. And in Jesus' story, both men are in the same story. The rich man seems to have everything and Lazarus, quite frankly, seems to have nothing. The rich man has servants to care for him. Lazarus has dogs to care for him and lick his sores. This is quite a contrast. Two very different people, but they are in the same story. You know what the story is called? It's called life. And you and I are in a story of God. It's called life. You didn't invent the story, but you're in the story. You didn't create your life. You do not even sustain your life. God has written you into this story. He wrote the rich man and Lazarus into the story. We are all right now doing life. Even though we have different backgrounds, we have different lifestyles, we all are doing life. The big question is this. What happens after we finish doing life? What happens in the after life these two guys are both traveling together on planet earth as it rotates around the sun they are experiencing life they have both experienced life and years and even though our experiences are quite different from each other both of them are going to experience what you and i will one day experience death it's a hundred percent certain before I read the next verse, I want to tell you it begins with a word called finally. Do you believe in finally? This is the word that comes right before the afterlife. The word is finally. And everybody, I want you to know, this word finally refers to the end of this life on earth. And it happens to everyone. Finally is coming for everyone. It's just the truth. Verse 22, finally the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried and his soul, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment he saw Abraham in a far distance with Lazarus at his son. It looks like the beggar Lazarus dies first, doesn't it? 
His finally came before the rich man. But then something happens in this story. Then the rich man has his finally moment, and he also dies, and it says specifically that he was buried. Jesus doesn't say in the story that Lazarus was buried, does it? Maybe Lazarus didn't have enough money for a funeral. Maybe they just took Lazarus' body and threw it in the dump. Maybe that was his end. I don't know. Jesus does say that the rich man was buried. And I want to just pause and say, I bet it was a beautiful funeral. I've noticed I've done a whole lot of funerals. I've noticed that rich people have beautiful funerals. Rich people always have bigger funerals than poor people. Let's stop and focus on the detail here. It's important. The bodies of both of these men have been disposed of. One of them might have been in the dump and the other one was in the fancy burial ceremony. But both of their bodies have been disposed of. They have both experienced physical death and they both have had a finally moment. Their physical life, listen, there's no debate, their physical life, the rich man and Lazarus, is over. Their physical life has ended. But the story doesn't end there, does it? And I'm going to ask you a question. Why is Jesus telling this story? If you're ever going to read the Bible, if you're ever going to read the words of Christ, you better be willing to ask the question, why is he telling this story? Jesus keeps on going. Their bodies have been disposed of, and Jesus keeps on going into the afterlife. Lazarus was carried by angels to be with Abraham. Lazarus was carried by angels. Did you hear that? He was carried by angels. Jesus says specifically that angels came and took the soul, not the body, the soul of Lazarus to the presence of Abraham. Lazarus' soul, not his tent, not his body, is traveled, listen, into the afterlife. This is big. Which one? There has been a separation from the soul and the body. Do you, are you with me? The body has been disposed of, of Lazarus. But Lazarus' soul is now being transferred from that location of the dead corpse to the presence of Abraham. They are two. So here's my big question. Which one's Lazarus? Is Lazarus the dead corpse and the dump? Or is Lazarus the soul that has now been moved by angels to Abraham's side? Lazarus is the soul. The rich man's soul is also carried away. Did you notice? But Jesus doesn't mention any angels. Angels aren't coming for his soul, like Lazarus. The rich man's soul travels to the place of the dead. What is that? The rich man's soul travels to the place of the dead? What a contrast. Lazarus has gone to Abraham's side. He got angels to escort him. But the rich man has gone to the place of the dead. These two men are men of extreme contrast. Rich versus poor. And that's the small contrast. The big contrast is one of them goes to the place of the dead and the other goes to what looks like the place of the living. 
at Abraham's side. They both have life. They both had life, and they both had years, and they both had a finally. Do you believe in a finally? Do you believe? Let's pause. Do you believe in a finally? That means that one day you will die. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there's an afterlife? I was listening on XM Radio recently. Billy Graham had a sermon on there, and he had a personal relationship with a guy named George Burns. Now, some of you older people my age remember when George Burns played God in the movie called Oh God. Billy Graham, in this sermon he preached, said that he, that, uh, he asked George Burns about his life living so long. By the way, he died at the age of 100. And Billy Graham said he asked George Burns what he thought about death, and George said, I don't believe in death. But George Burns is dead. Maybe you're in the room today, and quite frankly, up to this point, it's never crossed your mind. And maybe you don't really believe in death. Maybe it happens to other people, but not necessarily you. Where do you think Abraham is today? Where is this home of Abraham that Lazarus has been transported to today? Lazarus is with Abraham, and the rich man is in torment in the place of the dead. Are they both conscious? Here's where it gets interesting. Are they both conscious? Do they have some type of a physical body in this afterlife? Now, we know that their earthly body has been buried. It's on the earth. Lazarus's earthly body, maybe it was thrown in the dump. I don't know. But is there a type of body in this afterlife? Do you want to know? I'm going to hold this up and ask the question. Do you want to know the truth? Or maybe you feel more comfortable with just believing in universalism that everybody goes to heaven and we all live happily ever after. Maybe you're more comfortable with the idea that there's a fade to black unconsciousness and there's really nothing on the other side of the grave except nothing. Or maybe you feel more comfortable with letting the world tell you about the afterlife. Maybe let Hollywood tell you about the afterlife. Maybe let the late night comedians tell you about the afterlife. Or, or there's a choice. You could let Jesus tell you about the afterlife. Do you want to know the truth? Some people say, well, I came to Easter thinking we were going to have eggs and bunnies and go home. Maybe you down deep really don't believe in death. What is the place of the dead? I'm going to tell you, the New Living Translation calls the place of the rich man the place of the dead. What in the world is that? The graveyards are the place of the dead here on earth, right? That's where we take our dead, to the place of the dead. But what's on the other side of the graveyard? The New International Version translates the word hail. The New American Standard Bible translates the word Hades. But what is the place of the dead? What is it? I want to ask you some serious questions. And I bet very few of you have read it in such detail that you could even answer the questions. Does the rich man feel pain there? 
He obviously feels pain there because Jesus tells the story he is in torment. So he must have a type of a body, and that body must be able to experience pain. He obviously can see because Jesus in his story says that he can see Lazarus at Abraham's side, but they are far away. So he's in, he has the ability to experience pain, and he can see. And his soul is in Hades, the place of the dead, and his body is still on the ground on planet earth. Do you believe in an afterlife? Do you believe that after they put your body in a box and the box in the ground, that you, you are a soul and you are going somewhere? The rich man also has a voice. I want you to notice, Jesus says he feels pain, he can see, and he speaks in this afterlife. He has a voice and he cries out, verse 24, the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. The rich man has a body covering his soul in the afterlife. Listen to me. He has some kind of a body covering his soul in the afterlife. The rich man isn't dead in this place of the dead. Not dead like you think of dead. Not unconscious, fade to black, nothingness dead. The rich man is conscious. And he is in torment. And he is crying out in this afterlife. Why is Jesus telling the story? The rich man experiences suffering pain and anguish in this afterlife and yes it is described jesus describes it as a place of fire a place of flames what a contrast with these two guys i'll tell you what it looks like to me it looks like the great reversal it looks to me like the great reversal jesus had told everyone earlier that there was a day coming in the future that he's going to just turn everything upside down people have spent their whole life listening to the world, following the world, the ways of the world, climbing the ladder of success, only to find that on the last day, he takes the ladder and flips it upside down. And the first are last and the last are first. In Matthew 20, verse 16, Jesus says, so those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Yes, Jesus, but I didn't know that last was going to last until the afterlife do you believe in the afterlife? The rich man has cried out to faraway Abraham. Will Abraham answer him? In Jesus' story, will Abraham answer the rich man across the great divide? And by the way, where is Abraham anyway? It is surely not the place of the dead. The angels have carried Lazarus' soul to where? Where's Abraham? I'll tell you where he's at. He's in paradise. That sounds a lot better than the place of the dead. How awesome is the thought that your soul won't have to travel to paradise alone. I want you, I'm not going to jump over this until everybody gets it. Lazarus' soul 
is escorted into paradise by angels. How will Abraham respond from paradise? Remember, Jesus is telling this story, and Jesus is revealing right now the details of the afterlife. Verse 25. But Abraham said to him, he's answering the question, what? Have pity on me. Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Notice the request again as we consider Abraham's answer. Father Abraham. Abraham's answer is he calls the man son. Interesting. Have some pity on me. Abraham reveals the finality of that which happens after finally. You know what Abraham's answer is? It's too late. You know how horrible those words would be? In torment? It's too late. The rich man lived his life in luxury. And I want to make something really, really clear today. The rich man lived his life in luxury, but that's not why he went to the place of the dead. That's not why he ended up in Hades. Lazarus lived his life in poverty, and that's not why he ended up in the place of paradise at Abraham's side. The story is not about how much you had or how much you didn't have. That's not it. This story of Jesus is about who you'll put your trust in while you did life. This story is about who did you have faith in and who did you believe in while you were doing life. In reality, these two people had actually traded places. Because in Jesus' story, the rich man had everything and now he has nothing. And Lazarus had nothing, and now he has everything. They have actually traded places. The great reversal is real. And listen, church, the great reversal is permanent. Abraham's reply is, it's too late for you. It's too late. You lived your life. You made your choices in that life. And this is the afterlife now. Please, I want water to quench my thirst and comfort my anguish. It's too late. Please. And there's a great chasm. It's too late. There's a great divide. It's too late. No one can go from here to there or there to here. It's too wide. It's too late. This afterlife assignment is permanent. And this afterlife assignment has no court of appeals. You're not going to be able to find a lawyer to go stand on your behalf before God and get a second chance. It's over. I'll ask you again, church, do you believe in the afterlife? Do you believe it's permanent? Do you believe it's unchangeable? How will the rich man respond? Pretty much, he has been told it's too late. It's permanent. This is your future. How will he respond? Verse 27. The rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him. 
at least send Lazarus to my father's home. For I have five brothers, and I want him, I want Lazarus, to leave your side and go warn my family. At least, at least, let him warn my family so they don't end up in this place of torment. I wonder if this is the first time in the rich man's life that he thought about somebody besides himself. Someone must warn my family. Somebody must go to the earth and tell the truth about the place of the dead in the afterlife. I want to stop and notice something here. The rich man has memory. Anybody notice it? The rich man has memory in this place of the dead. He is aware of his family that is lost without the truth. He's aware. He's aware of his past. He's aware of his present. He is aware of his future. Why is Jesus telling this story? He has a body. In the place of the dead, he has a body that experiences thirst and pain. He can see. He can speak. He can hear. He is fully aware of his situation and his torment. I have five brothers and I don't want them to join me in this place of torment. This would probably, right now, push pause, be a good time to describe this place of torment. It is not what I am reading to you. This Hades, this place of the dead, is not the lake of burning sulfur referred to in the book of Revelation. That comes later, after the return of Christ. You think this is bad? You think this place of suffering is bad? It is only an intermediate step on the way to permanent hell. Let me read it to you. Revelation 20, verse 10. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That's hell. That's the permanent one. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. They, there they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but he found no place to hide. I believe this Hades, this place where the rich man's soul is, is a holding place. Listen, a holding place for the lost, waiting for the great white throne judgment of Revelation verse 20. Here it goes, Revelation 20 verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. And I saw the dead. Here they come. And I saw the dead. These are the lost, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were, being, were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up its dead, and death, and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their death. And notice verse 14. They were judged according to their deeds. Excuse me. Verse 14. And then death and the grave. This is that holding place. The place of the dead. Then death and the grave were what? Thrown by God into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. 
this place for the rich man, this place of the dead, listen carefully, is not purgatory. There is no purgatory. There is no place in the Bible that refers to a purgatory. Somebody made it up. Some have promoted the idea of purgatory as a place where you can change the status of your afterlife. It's not in here. In fact, if you find it, send me an email. I want to see it. It's not in here. Somebody made it up because it sounds like a really good idea. I can tell you it'd be a good fundraiser. Send your, send your money in. We'll pray them out of purgatory for a certain amount of money. Jesus makes it clear that the status is final. It is unchangeable. I'm going to tell you the truth. No one's going to be able to pray you out of Hades. And you cannot buy your way out of the place of the dead. No one passes over this great chasm. No one crosses over this great divide. No one. The only thing that follows this placement in Hades is the final placement in eternal hell. Did you notice that death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire? Do you believe in an afterlife? Do you want me to continue? Maybe I, you know what, I really liked it when we thought we were going to get Easter eggs and go home. Do you want the truth? Warn them. Just sober you, it sobers me. Warn them. Send Lazarus to warn them in this place of torment. How will Father Abraham answer that request? Before I read Abraham's answer, remember who is revealing this event and ask yourself one more time, just one more time, why is Jesus telling this story? Verse 29. Lazarus has said what? Excuse me, the rich man has said, warn them. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. I'm going to hold it up high. Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. Moses warned them. Warn the people on earth about the afterlife. Go send Lazarus. Warn them about the afterlife. And what's Abraham's answer? Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read a book. In the book, it says about the warnings in the book about the afterlife. Did you get a copy? Do you see the power of the Word of God in that verse? I do. David Sparrow and I were having an email conversation yesterday, and I'm reminded at this point about this story I read in Decision Magazine last summer about a Muslim cleric. And this Muslim cleric had this understudy. He was teaching him the faith of Islam. And he counsels his younger friend. He says that Christians around the world, they will always try to convert you from Islam to Christianity. But none of them will be able to convert you. None of them. But they have a book. Whatever you do, don't read that book. Well, you know how the story goes, or I wouldn't be telling the story. He read the book. And he turned to Christ, denounced Islam, and now he is a preacher of the gospel of Christ in the Middle East. Do you know the power of this book? Do you know this book tells you about the afterlife? 
Did you read this book? Maybe you're letting the world tell you about the afterlife. Maybe everybody has an opinion about the afterlife, but there's only one from heaven. There's only one from God. There's only one man that went into the grave and got out of the grave and came out and told everybody about the afterlife. Why wouldn't you listen to him? Because I'm telling you, what I'm reading to you today is his story. It's not mine. The Word of God reveals the afterlife, the truth. Abraham told him, your brothers can receive their warning from that book. You and I are receiving our warning from that book today. The Word of God right now is in this room. The Word of God right now is in this room. Giving a warning about the afterlife to everyone in here. I'm going to ask you, do you believe in the afterlife? Are you receiving the warning right now from this book? Do you think you're hearing this message today by accident or coincidence? Do you think that you're in this service and I'm preaching this sermon from this scripture today by coincidence? Or do you believe that God has scheduled an appointment for you to hear a message from His Son? Do you think you can wait until the afterlife, until after this life is over to deal with the afterlife? It'll be too late. Next verse, 29. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. And the rich man replied, no. No, Father Abraham. They, they, the book won't do it. They'll never believe a book. They'll never read Moses' writings and get it. No, Father Abraham. If someone is sent to them from the dead, then, then they'll repent and turn to God. This warning from God is written down for everyone to read. It's written in a book. You can hear it from a preacher and believe it in your heart, or you can find Easter eggs and go home. No, Father Abraham, they won't believe it if it comes from a book. Would you believe it if it came from a book? No, Father Abraham, they will believe if someone comes back from the afterlife to tell them, if Lazarus appears after half being dead, if he comes back from the dead, they'll believe a dead man walking, right? Would you? Can you tell me why we're in the room today called Easter? Did you believe a dead man walking story? I've been reading it to you all morning. Let a man from the afterlife come and warn them. Then they'll repent. Let a man from the afterlife come and warn them. Then my family will turn to God. Will they? Are you sure that'll work? Now the final verse in Jesus' revelation of the afterlife. This is the real truth. What I'm about to read is the real truth of Easter. Here it comes. One verse. Verse 31. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, if they won't listen to the book, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. This is Easter. Did you listen to the one who rose from the dead? If you don't believe the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets, you will never listen to someone who comes back from the afterlife. Why do you think Jesus said that? Because Moses and the prophets revealed the one who would resurrect from the grave. 
Jesus, right now, the resurrected Jesus, the one that was buried in the ground and came back Jesus, has told you, warned you today about the afterlife. And I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe Him? God has supernaturally applied a great power to this book. And I know some of you scoff at it. I know, I know. There's some of you in the room who do not believe that. And that's okay. I'm fine with that. But I'm telling you, God has applied a supernatural power to this book. You can read a lot of books. And they might influence your life. But you read this book, it changes your heart. This is how the Apostle Paul describes, excuse me, not Apostle Paul, this is how the Hebrew writer describes this book. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is alive. I'm going to hold it up. This, this book is alive and is powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes. And He is the one to whom we are accountable. You and I have something that the rich man didn't have. Do you know that? You and I have something that Lazarus didn't have. Do you know that? You and I have something that the rich man's five brothers didn't have. You and I have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. You know what the word testament means? Covenant. It's a promise. You've got the original promise and you have the new promise from God. What are you doing with that? Are you waiting for one who came back from the dead to show up at your house? We have the words of Moses and the prophets and Jesus and the apostles. They have all warned us about the afterlife. It's all in here. They have all warned us about the afterlife. Can I ask you, did you listen to the warning? In fact, I'm going to read one of those warnings from Moses written 1,500 years before Jesus is born. Deuteronomy 18, Moses continued, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. What if you don't? There's the warning. I'm reading the warning. You must listen to him. But you've got to ask, what if you don't? You will seal your afterlife. Now I told you when I started today that I'm convinced that this is not a parable. This is a real story. And my basis for that assumption is this. That Jesus' parables never gave names. And in this story, he gives names. But one of you would come to me later and say, wait a minute, the rich man doesn't have a name. But Lazarus and Abraham have a name. Why doesn't the rich man have a name? I've got a good answer for that one. You ready? Because his life is meaningless. His, wife is, his life is wasted. It's gone. He doesn't need a name. He is erased from God's story. Rich man. He's gone. He's never coming back. He will never be in the presence of God. He will never experience the glory of God. You can erase his name out. He's finished. And what if you don't listen? 
You will seal your afterlife. But there's a second question. What if you do listen? What if you're in the room today and this message is doing something on the inside of your heart? Some of you don't know, but when the first service, when the first service this morning ended, there was a lady who walked out the door and she said she couldn't go to the car. She couldn't do it. She went out that door and she came back and I was standing up here and she came down the hallway and everybody was already finished getting ready to leave. She says, I tried to leave. I tried to get in the car and I couldn't do it. Today I want to receive Christ. She couldn't do it. What if you do believe? What if you believe that God's given you a warning about the afterlife? Then you also are sealing your afterlife. You're sealing it if you don't. It's called the place of the dead. You're sealing it if you do. It's called the place of Abraham. It's called paradise. What if you do believe him? What if you do believe the one who rose from the dead? What if you hear his words with your ears and you believe his words? Well, let me just give you one example. What if you believe this? Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Just, just a test. Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the good news. Who's he talking to? Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. And anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. There you go. You want to make it complicated? You don't have to. What if you do? You see, is this story good news to you? He says, Jesus told me, he told you, he told believers, go into all the world and tell the good news. But you know what? In reality, do you think today's message is good news? I've watched your faces while I'm talking. Some of you don't think this is good news. I've preached the good news to you today. I have, I have preached to you the good news. Do you think it's good news? You see, in reality, does this story make you focus on the reward of Lazarus or the torment of the rich man? Which one? Because which one affected you probably describes which one you are. You didn't want to hear that, did you? But it's good news. Because the good news is all you got to do is believe. Do you believe this story of the afterlife? Do you believe Jesus? Well, let's just put it in context. Have you been baptized? That lady who went out and said she couldn't get in the car, she's the one we baptized after that song. She says she couldn't leave today. I'm going to close with this. One of these days, I'm a realist. I'm a realist. I don't like games. I want to deal with the truth. And here's the truth. One of these days, somebody's going to say the word finally over me. I get it. I'm 61 years old. At best, I'm in the early part of the fourth quarter. Okay? At best. At best. And one of these days, somebody's going to say the word finally over me. And I'm going to tell you what my expectations are. God will send His angels. And they will escort me into paradise. Into the very presence of God. Not a holding place awaiting my final disposition. No, uh 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 no, heaven to paradise into the very presence of my Lord. One day I will die. I get it. I get it. I believe in death. 
One day I will die, and they will put my body in a box, and they will put that box in the ground, and then they will all go back to the fellowship hall and eat chicken out of a box. (laughs) And they will tell funny stories about that fat preacher. I get it. I get it. One day my soul will leave this mortal flesh. My soul will fly into the afterlife. My afterlife is going to last much longer than this one. It's called forever. It is my destiny. It is my destination. And I'm going to ask every one of you a question on this Easter day. Is it yours? It can be. It won't be without Jesus. Is it your destiny? Hebrews 9.27 It says, And just as each person is destined to die once. It's your destiny. Each person is destined to die once. And after that comes what? Judgment. So also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will again He will come again, not to deal with our sins, no, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for Him. That's me. Are you waiting for Him? There's only one thing that's going to keep me from this appointed time of destiny where they put me in a box. And that says there's going to be a loud shout and a voice of the archangel and a trumpet blast. And you know what he said? The dead in Christ are going to rise and those who are alive are going to rise. We're going to meet him in the air. We're going to go to Abraham's side. So here we go. I know this, and I've said it in both the earlier services. I will get criticism for this Easter sermon. You have no idea what emails I get. I will get criticism. Here's the criticism. I'm going to predict it. Terry, you had... 1,500, almost 1,500 people here this weekend. Why did you have to do such a serious, heavy, controversial topic? And I'm going to, my answer is going to be, I am convinced that this is the perfect Easter sermon because it's not Terry Cooper's sermon. I just told you Jesus' story. It's not my story. I've spent all of this time telling you what Jesus said. If you've got a problem with this, you don't have a problem with me. You've got a problem with him. The one that told the story of the rich man and Lazarus has risen from the dead. And he is right now, he is right now sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. His resurrection proves beyond a shadow of a doubt There is an afterlife. He is the afterlife. He is the before life and he is the right now life. And I'm going to tell you the truth. There is no life without him. His resurrection proves that you and I can go there. You and I can go to the place of Abraham's side. We can go to paradise. We don't have to suffer the torment of the place of the dead. Why? Because we have a Savior. We have a Savior. He saved you from the place of the dead. If you go to the place of the dead, it's because you rejected the Savior. You didn't believe the Savior. You didn't acknowledge the Savior. I believe 
that if you believed you were lost and Jesus had the power to save you, I believe you'd believe in Jesus. I believed if you believed there was a place of the dead and there's a place of paradise. I believed if you believed Jesus, you'd confess him with your mouth and you'd believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You'd be saved. I love Easter. That's probably an understatement. I love Easter. I'm going to tell you, it is the Super Bowl of Sundays for me. Today I celebrate on Easter the call of God that changed my current life and changed my afterlife. They have both been changed by a man named Jesus. You know why? Because he called my name. You know what my destiny was before I met Jesus? My destiny was this place of the dead. My destiny was Hades. My destination, my future was the place of the dead later to be transferred into hell, the lake of burning sulfur. And then in the midst of my travel into the darkness, someone called my name. And he called me out of the grave. He said, Terry, you don't have to stay on that road. You don't have to end up at the place of the dead. If you'll turn around, if you'll repent and believe me, you'll never know the place of the dead. You'll never know Hades. I will send an angel, and that angel will carry you into my presence. He called my name. I ran out of that grave. And I'm going to ask you a question. Chad's coming out to sing this last song. Is today God calling your name? If you walk out this door today, and today God has called your name out of the grave, if He calls you out of the grave, the place of the dead, and you refuse to turn around and walk toward Him, God didn't send you to hell. You sent you to hell. You did it. He didn't do it. You did it. Jesus said, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. I'm telling you the truth. We're going to sing a song. There's two parts to the song. Here's the first part. This is one of my favorite songs right now. We've been wanting to sing it during the service. I said, no, we've got to wait for the end. Got to wait for the end. If you're in Christ today, this is your Easter celebration song. Why don't you sing it like Jesus is standing up front here? Because he's worthy of your song. But there's a second part. If you're not in Christ today, if you know that you know that you know that if you die today, if you die today, you will go to the place of torment. Why would you walk out that door when He offers you life? Why? It's your time of decision. It's your call. The invitation's open. We'll stand. Thank you.